Hello, awesome humans, and welcome to today's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and I'm so grateful that you're here. As a quick reminder, we record this podcast with a live virtual audience, so you will hear me respond to comments and questions throughout. If you'd like to join our live audience, I would love it. You can go to nataliekogan.com to see the schedule of upcoming shows and to sign up. Now, before we dive into today's topic, just take a deep breath to arrive in this moment right now. This time is for you, and I hope you find this episode really valuable. Hello, awesome humans. We are here. Welcome to Awesome Human Hour. Welcome to the Awesome Human Podcast, if that's how you're joining us. I'm Natalie. I'm so grateful to be with you all, and uh, I am so excited for this episode. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, the soul of money, living a committed life, and how uh, transcending our daily worries by committing ourselves to something greater than ourselves um, can truly be our fuel. And I'm going to have an incredibly special guest join me in just a few minutes. Her name is Lynn Twist. I will introduce her uh, when she joins us. But Lynn um, is the author of most recently of Living a Committed Life. And her first book uh, was a bestseller called The Soul of Money. And Lynn um, is an incredible global visionary and activist, someone who's been committed to ending world hunger and empowering women and girls for more than 40 years, and someone whose work has really personally touched me in a very, very meaningful way. So I am so uh, excited that Lynn is able to make time in her very busy schedule um, to join us in a few minutes. Um, Lynn will be here. but so that's our topic today. And again, thank you everyone for joining in whatever in whatever way you are listening on the podcast, watching the recording, or here with us live on Zoom. And if you are here with us live on Zoom, um, uh, I want to remind you that chat is always open. If you want to share anything as I'm talking or as I talk with Lynn, you can always pop your comments into chat. Um, this is how we make it a little bit more interactive. And if you're listening on, on a podcast and you'd love to join us live, you can always go to nataliekogan.com slash podcast. And there is a way to register to attend with a live audience on Zoom. Um, so welcome, everyone. And we always uh, begin with a little a little awesome human ritual. So let's do it all together. Uh, take a moment. Think about your answer to this question. Today, I'm an awesome human because. Today, I'm an awesome human because. And if you're here with us on Zoom, I would love for you to share your answer in chat. If you're listening or watching the recording, just take a moment and acknowledge something meaningful and wonderful about yourself to yourself. Uh, Every time I get to come into your life, your visual space or your ear, I want to remind you that... um, we're all fantastic at noticing and acknowledging and criticizing things about ourselves that we don't think are good enough. Um, Our brain has a negativity bias. It focuses on what's negative and it does it in our environment and ourselves. Uh, We also, so we have to practice recognizing the good in ourselves. We have to practice acknowledging um, our humanness, our wonderfulness, the characteristics within ourselves that we really appreciate. And this has become increasingly for me um, something that I feel I'm on a mission to get as many of us to do as possible is to embrace the greatness of what it means to be human. 
Um, and that's why I do uh, this podcast. That's why I do this, these shows. That's why I do my work. Many of us, and this is absolutely true for me too, we narrow how we see ourselves. We, we kind of get into the space of just focusing on the things about ourselves that we don't like or we want to improve and we just narrow. And it, it, it is an amazing thing to be a human being. It is not easy. <laughs> it is definitely a challenge, but each of us, and I don't have to know any of you to say this with confidence, there is so much greatness in you. That's why I call you awesome humans. It's truly awe inspiring to be human. And part of my mission um, is to remind you um, of the gifts that you carry, of the wonderfulness in you, um, which doesn't have to do anything with external achievements or your resume or whether you did all the things you wanted to get done today, but simply has a lot to do with your unique humanity, the unique way that you are here, the unique things that you are contributing on a daily basis and creating as part of creating your life. You know, one of the things um, and every time um, we do this show or we do an episode, I try to share something with you that I've been thinking about as I see my screen explode with um, what you're sharing about being why you're an awesome human today. And I'm going to read a little bit, a few of those in a moment. But um, every time I try to begin this episode, the show by sharing something with you that I've been thinking about and something that I've been not just thinking about, but um, reading a lot about and studying a lot is this idea that creativity and being creative has nothing to do with making art. And if you are here on video, you will see that I'm actually in my studio today and I have my art behind me and I'm actually wearing the official awesome human hoodie, which also features my art. But in our world, we equate creativity with art. And actually, art and creativity are two separate things. Some people are artists. I am an artist. Um, you might be an artist if you make poetry or write music or sing or, um, or do another artistic expression. So some people are artists, but all human beings are creative because Creativity, as Carl Jung, the famous psychotherapist, talked about, it's a core human instinct. And every day, all of us, every single one of you is creating something. And ultimately, what we're creating is our lives. We're, you're creating yourself every day. You're creating your life, your day, simply by bringing your unique humanness to it. And I think that is such an important thing to recognize because um, you know, if you follow me on social media, I've been talking about this. And if you don't, my 18 year old daughter says I'm a good follow. So it's Natalie Kogan, N-A-T-A-L-Y-K-O-G-A-N um, on Instagram and LinkedIn are probably my two favorite places. But I've been talking about this in my in different posts that um, I, I've noticed within myself and uh, within with just how uh, how we talk about our days and ourselves. And I've noticed it's become a little bit mechanistic, like I got to get through my day. I got to get this done. I got to do this thing. And we got to get stuff done and we got to get through the day, but that's not really why we're here. Um, we're here to live with a capital L. We're here to really thrive. It doesn't mean we're happy all the time. It doesn't mean we're positive all the time. It doesn't mean every day has to be amazing, but whatever it is, I really think we are like awesome humans that we have this capacity to truly experience our days and bring something unique to them. But I think we forget that. I forget that because our daily worries and challenges just consume us. And so 
part of why I'm sharing this with you and part of why I ask you to start by acknowledging the awesome humanity in yourself is because I want to remind you that you are an awesome human, that there's awe about being alive and that um, I want you to reconnect with that every single day. So um, uh, in light of that, um, before we dive into our amazing conversation with Lynn, which I cannot wait to introduce you to everyone and to meet her, I've never met her. I want to read some of what um, you wrote uh, for those of you who are here with us in a live audience. Um, and for everyone who is listening, I hope that hearing some of these answers will inspire you to reconnect to that goodness, that awesomeness within yourself. So I'm just going to pick a few. My screen is, a, I have many. I'm just going to pick at random. Uh, today, I'm an awesome human because I drove into work when I really didn't want to. Yeah, sometimes overcoming resistance is what makes us awesome. Uh, today, I'm an awesome human um, because I'm willing to better myself through small but meaningful actions. I, I love that. If you're familiar with me or my work, if you've been with me for a while, you know that one of my core life philosophies is to follow my doing, to follow your doing. There's no such thing as a small action. Every single action that you take if you do it consistently, it has a huge impact. Um, today, I'm an awesome human woo, because I came to Texas to babysit for my granddaughters to enable my daughter to travel to celebrate her 15th wedding anniversary. Grandma's rock. I just got to say, that's awesome. Um, I'm an awesome human because I have stuck to my course for a year and next month will, quali will qualify as a yoga teacher. Yes, love. Um, today I'm an awesome human. Ooh, my screen's still scrolling. Um, because I woke up and got out of bed early to watch this awesome webinar. Yay, Marcella, we're so happy you're with us. I love that. Um, today I'm an awesome human because I'm an I'm accompanying an eight STEM core community college students to a cybersecurity conference, and it's such a pleasure to support them. Woohoo! Fantastic. Um, today, I'm an awesome human because I'm making and donating 100 cupcakes for my daughter's school pep rally. Kathy, you rock. You're an awesome human. And now you are responsible for me and every single person listening craving cupcakes. So I just want to highlight that. You're awesome, but now I'm craving a cupcake and I'm sure lots of folks <laughs> are as well. Um, I just want you to notice how you feel when you take a moment to acknowledge something good in yourself or when you listen to someone else do it or someone like me share what others have shared. Uh, I often, when I'm on stage and I ask my audiences to do, to do this, to acknowledge why they're an awesome human, people tell me that it feels really weird, that it feels like unfamiliar to do that, that they feel strange saying something good about themselves. I wonder, does that, do you feel that way? Do you feel that it's weird to acknowledge yourself as an awesome human? Does it feel kind of odd? Um, and I, I know where that comes from. Uh, you know, uh, I grew up in a family where, you know, my parents and my grandparents loved me to death, but it was like not the thing to do to say something good about yourself. And again, I think there's such a difference between acknowledgement and recognition of the wonderfulness of you being human and bragging, right? It's, you know, it's, um, I've heard people say, I feel it's not humble 
And I, I, I'd like to reverse that. I'd love to shift that because it's not that you are bragging. It's not that you're not being humble. It's that you're recognizing the goodness that in something that is, that is, that is good. It's kind of like looking outside, like I'm looking outside my window right now and it's a beautiful sunny day. Nature like shines, right? Like the, the sun is out, the water, I'm looking at this, there's a little pond outside my window, like it's sparkling. The sun doesn't feel like it's bragging when it's shining. So why do we as human beings, why do we feel that we are bragging when we acknowledge something good in ourselves? Um, so just something to think about. And um, the last thing I want to share on this, um, and then I really want to dive into our chat with Lynn, who I see has joined, which is awesome, um, is that uh, there's a lot of research um, around self-criticism. And I definitely come from a tradition in my family where criticizing yourself was seen as a path to self-improvement. And I absolutely lived that way for most of my life. Um, uh, I was my own harshest critic and I still have that voice. We all have that voice in ourselves, but there is literally zero research that connects constant self-criticism to self-improvement. Zero. When you constantly criticize yourself, when you are harsh towards yourself, when you talk to yourself in that kind of negative way, it increases stress, it increases anxiety, it reduces discipline, it reduces resilience, which is your ability to adapt to challenges, it reduces your motivation to do something. Those are all things that we need to improve. And constant self-criticism actually reduces the things that we need as human beings to improve. But the opposite researchers have found as well, that when you treat yourself with compassion, which really just means that you acknowledge that you're a human being, that you cannot do all things perfectly, and that when you screw something up or you don't do something well, it's not that you ignore it but you see it, but you support yourself like you would a friend to move forward. So research has found that when you um, react and treat yourself with compassion, it increases your motivation to work harder to improve. It increases your resilience. Think about that. And so the next time that your inner critic gets very, very loud or that you try to acknowledge why you're an awesome human and that voice is like, eh, no, not awesome, Natalie. You didn't do this, you didn't do this, you know, not awesome. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that there really isn't any virtue or use to self-criticism. There isn't any virtue to putting yourself down. There is no virtue to um, being humble to the point that you forget your own wonderfulness because when you acknowledge your strength, when you acknowledge your uniqueness, when you acknowledge just the wonderfulness of who you are, then you are more motivated, then you're more fueled to share all of that with others. And I'm excited to talk to Lynn about that, um, because to me, that is a really interesting component of living a life where we contribute to others. I think it is important to also, as part of that, recognize that we have something to contribute right? Because if you, if that inner critic is constantly putting you down, is constantly telling you that you're not good enough, are you going to be inspired or motivated to do meaningful things for others? 
I don't think so. And so to conclude my little thought piece for today, um, something that I've come to realize is that constantly putting myself down or not acknowledging my gifts or not acknowledging um, the good in myself, it actually prevents me from contributing as much as I can to others. And that is something I really want to do. And so I want you to think about that, um, that if you are refusing to acknowledge that you have a lot of wonderfulness and awesomeness to contribute, that might be actually preventing you from being there for other people in a way that you want to be. And so for me, that's a really helpful connection because I use that to put my inner critic into a much, much more background of my life. Um, so uh, Lynn, I see that you've joined. If you would turn your camera on, I will spotlight you and introduce you to everyone. Uh, let me do that. Everyone, if you're here with us live, let me do that. Okay. Awesome. Here we are. Lynn, welcome to Awesome Human Hour. Thank you so much for making time to be with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm in um, New York in the City Museum of New York, as you can see back here. Is oh, and, I was um, trying to figure that out, what that was. <laughs> well, you're in my, um, I have so many things I want to say to you, but the, the first thing is, so New York City was my American home. Um, I grew up in Russia. I came here as a refugee when I was a teenager with my parents, and New York was the first place I ever felt at home, so you're in my home. But welcome, Lynn. You are here with... Uh, 200 awesome humans live and many more thousands will be joining us on the podcast as they listen. So welcome to our awesome human family. Um, I just have to start by gushing. Can I just gush for 30 seconds before I introduce <laughs> you that this is the biggest gift for me. I'm, I, your books have become an enormous part of my life and everyone I'm holding up will have uh, Lynn's books and the show notes, of course. But The Soul of Money was the first one I read and Living a Committed Life is Lynn's most recent book. Um, so Lynn, I feel like you've been in my life for the past year and I just want to tell you how meaningful your work has been for me and inspiring and fueling. Um, and I'm just so grateful that we get to have this conversation and share you with our broader community. So that's not going to be the end of my gushing, but I'm going to try to be disciplined. <laughs> well, thank you for that lovely gush. I I appreciate it. I receive it. And I, I gush right back. Thank you very oh. much for having me and for being an awesome human yourself and creating awesomeness worldwide. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. So let me just introduce, I gave a brief introduction at the beginning, but just for everyone, I'm not going to read Lynn's whole bio because it would take us the whole hour to acknowledge everything Lynn has done. Um, and we'll get into it in our conversation. But um, Lynn, as I mentioned, is the author of The Soul of Money and Living a Committed Life. I cannot recommend either over the other. Get them both and read them in any order. Um, and Lynn, for I think more than 40 years now, has been uh, just an incredible contributor to the world is what I would say, but someone committed to ending world hunger and empowering women and girls, supporting environmental sustainability and social justice. Um, she's been part of and running something called the Hunger uh, Project, which I can't wait to hear about. Um, so a true awesome human with a capital A-W-E um, and an honor to connect with you, Lynn. And if I just might just jump right in. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, your journey as we go, but I'd love to jump in 
um, right into the guts of what um, I think so much of your work has impacted me. You talk a lot about, um, in both of your books, these three myths of scarcity. And I would love to begin there because for me, that was the part that really I feel shifted something in me. And as I shared with my community when I wrote the email to invite everyone to the session, to this episode, you know, being a refugee, um, we came with nothing. We had six suitcases. Um, we're Jewish, so we were persecuted in the Soviet Union. So we literally got kicked out, came with nothing. So I, I know what it's like to like be in a refugee camp and have nothing. And then I really did think that if I could just make enough money to take care of my family and have a wonderful life, I'd be happy. And I did that for 20 years. I built an incredibly successful career in tech and finance and was the primary breadwinner and did all kinds of wonderful things for my parents. And there still was this void that I couldn't explain because I did all the things. And even since then, you know, I've had a really wonderful life, but I've always had this fear of money running out, even though I have plenty and take care of my family. And it wasn't until I read these scarcity myths that I felt a shift of like the power that I have to shift into sufficiency. So can we start there? Could sure. you talk about what those are? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll, yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me and for um, creating such a beautiful container and space and framework and platform for people's growth and development. Um, uh, I've been a fundraiser and a philanthropist all my life um, uh, for really many, many decades. And one of the things that became very clear to me in uh, both fundraising all over the world for ending world hunger and the empowerment of women, and now for um, the, the sacred headwaters of the Amazon and preserving the environment, um, is that people and money <clears throat> uh, have an anxiety factor that's so high that no amount of money makes it go away, which seems so so weird because it seems like the anxiety is about not having enough money. So then when you get more money, it seems like everything should be fine, but but that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, when you get more money, then suddenly you have a new anxiety that you actually need more money again. And then when you have more money, more money again. And even people, I know I can report on this because I work with some of these families who are in the global billionaire with a B mm -hmm. category, think they need more money. It's like inconceivable to, 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 to see that that's, that it doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's something else going on here. Um, and, uh, and, and even on, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, people that I used to call poor, I would never use that term any longer because people are not poor. Their circumstances are poor. Mm -hmm. They're whole and complete. They're courageous. They're, in fact, have so much inner strength living in those mm. kinds of conditions that they, you know, they're the people mm. that that we want to be like, actually, because they have so much inner, their inner life is so rich and so full. Uh, and, and that's where they develop, given that the outer life has so much poverty. So um, I started looking under the rocks and under the radar and under the covers about what is it that makes people so anxious and upset and dysfunctional around money. It's just crazy, mm. crazy, crazy, and always desperate, thinking they're going to run out and they need more. Um, and it turns out that uh, I began to see that there's a, a whole bed of lies, and I'm going to use that word very specifically, yeah. in the culture of money, mm. in the culture of money, which has become the culture of everything, because we've made money so important. We've yeah. uh, made it so 
all all powerful that mm. we've made it more important than human life we've mm. actually given it more importance than human life and we all know that's a lie and buddha said the source of all suffering is a lie and the suffering and anxiety and upset and baggage and fear and craziness we have around money mm. is the so the source of that suffering is the lies we tell about money in the culture, not you, not me, not the people listening today or the people who listen to this recording. It's in the culture and then we personalize it. Hmm. The culture of money, the commercial consumer culture is a, a culture rooted in many, many lies. Not hmm. One, we've made money more important than human life. Two, we've made money more important than the natural world. We will not only kill for money, but we'll destroy the very life support system on which we depend for money. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll cut down a rainforest for money. We'll pollute the air we breathe for money. We'll pollute the river mm. we drink from for money, if there's enough money. And we'll pollute the world so that future generations don't even have a chance of life mm. if it gives us enough money right now. That's crazy making. And that's a lie and we all know it. And then the third thing is we've made money more important than God or spirit. And money is our invention. Money does not grow on trees. Pennies do not rain from heaven. It's it's our, we created the stuff. Yeah. And we yeah. give it its power. We assign it its emotional, psychological, financial, and even its spiritual power over us. Hmm. So the source of the suffering is this lie. But the big lie, and the one you want me to talk about, is the lie of scarcity. Hmm. The lie of scarcity is an unconscious unexamined condition of thinking, a way of perceiving the world where there's not enough money, there's not enough time, there's not enough love, there's not enough sex, there's not enough vacations, there's not enough square feet in my house, there's not enough market share, there's not enough volunteers, there's not enough sales, there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough, I'm not enough, we're not enough, there's not enough, I'm not enough, there's not enough, we're not, we're not enough, is the bedrock of a mindset, unconscious, mm. unexamined mindset in the culture. Now, in the culture of scarcity, and scarcity has three toxic myths, this mindset. Now, just want to remind you, and you know this, but I want to remind everybody, I worked on hunger and poverty. So I know mm. very, very personally and intimately that some places on this planet, there is not enough food. There's mm. not enough water. There's not enough opportunity. There's not enough clean and safe uh, uh, homes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a mindset, an unconscious, unexamined mindset, like glasses we're looking through. We don't even know we're having, having them on. Mm. Where even before thinking, what we perceive is there's not enough. And then we fill mm. in the blank. Mm. And we start with the three toxic myths that are in the culture of thinking, in the culture we live in, there's not enough has toxic myth, toxic myth number one of the mindset of scarcity mm -hmm. is that is this unconscious belief, <gasps> there's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is going to be left out. And I have to make sure it's not me right, or right. the people I love. So that immediately creates an us mm -hmm. and a them. Yes. So there's not enough to go around. Somebody's always going to be left out. That unconscious, unexamined assumption mindset creates behaviors that have us say, I'll take as much as I can for me and mine to make sure we're not left out. In fact, I'll take way more than I need. 
And then someday maybe I'll help these people, but I need a lot more than I need to make sure I'm safe. Yeah. And that um, mindset, oh, my lights went off here. <laughs> I think this is one of those places where they go off. <laughs> you have to jump around. around. Well, anyway, can you still see me? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's uh, toxic myth number one. There's not enough. Toxic myth number two follows very shortly after that. It's more is better. More of anything, more of everything is better. Mm. More square feet in my house, more market share, more this, more money, more more sex, more love, more this, more food, more, 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 more. Mm. And that is got us by the throat because everybody's into marketing more, trying to get people to get more of whatever it is they have mm. that they're giving to, uh, to the world. And the more is better culture is now in such an intense, intense thing that we're swimming, the water we're swimming in. Mm. And every message we got we get tells us we're not enough until we acquire more of something. Mm. Um, and I like to use the uh, now the metaphor and the uh, and and really the the kind of fact that things like waste and storage are two of the biggest industries in the world now um, because we want more of everything and we have way more than we need to start with. Um, and so when you think about the homeless problem in the United States, which is very intense, we're not building houses for them. No, we're building houses for the stuff we can't fit in the houses we already have. And it's mm. called storage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a poster child for a culture that's lost its way that just is, you know, kind of hell bent on more, 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 more of anything and everything unconsciously. Mm. And then the third toxic myth is that's just the way that it is. Yeah. And that's just the way that it is, is kind of the worst one because it holds the whole mindset in place mm. as if you can't do anything about it. Mm. So as if this is just the way that it is and you have to go along with it. Mm. So that's the source of resignation. It's the source of depression. It's the source of despair. It's the source of um, the psychological breakdown. It's a source of addiction. It's a source of obesity. It's a source of all the, the maladies we have in our culture, because we just believe this scarcity mindset is just the way that it is rather than it's a mindset mm. and we can erase it and see the forest for the trees. So that's my short, I know that was long, but my no, short it's version. Really, <laughs> I, I so appreciate it. I, I, I'm sure everyone listening is like me and I've read this, but I just, um, it's so clear Lynn, and powerful. And, you know, I just want to share like something personal that I connect with. Um, Cause I thought a lot about, you know, that isn't enough, but the more is better. You know, after my family and I came to the United States, you know, we, in Russia, there was never literally nobody literally. had money. no one yeah. had money mm -hmm. um other than the corrupt governments but no one had money and so um we were used to that and then but then we you know in the refugee camps for two and a half months and then we lived on welfare like we really didn't have a loss of anything and i remember during the first couple of years in america um i had been a dancer in russia but i gained like 15 pounds and the reason was that i couldn't get <laughs> more became a food immediately became better because I just came from nothing. And so 
I, you know, and it's not like we had money for food, but we had food stamps and at school I got vouchers. And so I would just eat like tater tots and Fritos and ice cream because I never had that stuff. So Mm. more was better. And obviously it was the reason I bring that up is with no judgment of myself. It was the subconscious Mm -hmm. idea because I think the things you just shared, they are connected, Mm -hmm. right? Thinking that there isn't enough that when you have access to something, you really want to grab it all because it might run out. Um, So I think it's really, really powerful. And I think that what I'd love for um, you to talk about is how do we shift, Lynn, right? Mm -hmm. So how how do we shift? Because, you know, I and my work around, as I call human expansiveness and emotional fitness and leadership, you know, I'm a neuroscience geek and I, you know this, we can't just decide one day to think differently. It doesn't work like that. The brain is pretty stubborn, especially when there is a cultural mindset that mm-hmm. is holding us. So can you talk a little bit, because I'm sure everyone listening is nodding and recognizing this in their lives and was like, yes, I don't want to feel that way. How do we begin to take the steps to shift? And what well, do we shift into out of the scarcity? Well, I just want to just underline one other point that the scarcity mindset is a product of the consumer culture. And the consumer culture is very intense and getting more intense every minute. Um, And it's not your fault. I just want to make sure to have people see it's not your fault that you think you need more of everything and all the time and you're accumulating and that your closets are filled with more clothes than you wear. Your basements are filled with more stuff than you can ever use. You eat more food than you really need. You, you know, we have, we, we have storage new units and, you know, we're t- taking stuff to the goodwill as fast as we accumulate more. So it's not your fault. I think mm-hmm. that's really important to disaggregate it from, from ourselves because we think it's us, but no, it's the culture in which we live. It's like the water you're swimming in. If you're mm-hmm. a, a fish in a toxic fish tank, you're not sick to begin with, but if you keep swimming and breathing in that mm. water, you know, you start to get sick and you think mm. there's something wrong with you when in fact, it's the culture in which you live. So first of all, that's really important to hear because mm. you can, the shame and the kind of uh, grip that it has on you loosens a little bit when you mm. realize it's not you, at least even if you hear that. So that's number one. Then number two is that, um, the source of all suffering is a lie. So the suffering around money, as Buddha says, is, is rooted in these lies. And if you see them as lies rather than, oh, this is just the way that it is, it starts to dislodge them a little bit too. Um, then third, I'll say that um, uh, what we all have moments. Oh, and then the other thing is, um, the culture of scarcity produces, uh, uh, when you were talking earlier before I came on, negative conversations that we think come from us about ourselves. So it creates a deficit relationship with ourselves. It's not like, not, not just, I don't have enough, there's not enough, it's not enough. It starts to be, I'm not enough. Yes. I'm not enough. Yes. I'm not tall enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. The culture kind of almost forces you to start thinking that about yourself. Mm. So I, I want to also disabuse people of the notion 
that that those are your thoughts. So those thoughts just come from this culture of scarcity. They they're just like all over. They're swimming all over your head. So, to back to your question, we all have times in our life, moments. You know, you you had them this week, maybe this morning, maybe yesterday, where you realize how grateful you are when mm. you you look at a new baby when you are up early enough to to take it a moment and look at the sunrise and just take in the birds and the blossoms that are starting to happen on the trees and really take you know stop and pay attention and be a hundred percent present in those moments there's no scarcity mm. there's no scarcity when you're in awe and wonder there's no scarcity when you're in deep and profound gratitude yes there's no scarcity when you're in generosity. There's no scarcity when you're in action to turn the, a, a situation around. You don't have time to think about scarcity. Mm. So we we have all kinds of times and places in our lives where it disappears for a moment, but then it comes back. And I say that those moments are when we're in touch with what I call sufficiency. Mm. And sufficiency is a distinction that is not an amount. It's not halfway between way more than we need and less than we need. It's a way of being. It's a way of seeing. It's a distinction of how the actual presence works in the world. Hmm. And sufficiency, the experience of enough, a profound experience of your own enoughness, hmm. is an experience of being met by the universe with exactly what you need which actually happens all the time. Mm. This is what is so in the world. Mm. And when you really realize that even a bankruptcy, even a divorce, even um, a cancer diagnosis, when you look back, may have been exactly what you needed. Mm. We get met by the universe with what we need when we're willing to see it and own it and realizing the universe is for us, not against us. That's and so I learned beautiful. this, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I learned this from the great Buckminster Fuller who said many, many, many years ago that, that um, we are leaving a world of you or me, the you yeah. or me world is the world of scarcity mm. where either you make it at my expense or I make, I make it at your expense. Um, that's a world where there's not enough for all of us. Mm. There's, you know, there's only enough for some of us and some of yeah. us are going to be left out. And that is, Bucky said so clearly, Buckminster Fuller, the great um, futurist, is a mindset and it's just not true. Mm. Our innovation, our inventiveness, our curiosity, our science has been producing more and more with less and less. Mm. You just think about what happens with, with a phone now. Right. This used right. to be a big giant mainframe computer. Yeah. Just think about biodynamic farming in like, you know, mm. 10 acres of land, you can feed 100 families because we understand now more about how it works, how farming really works. So our science, our innovation, our ingenuity is, is producing more and more with less and less. Mm. So we clearly live in a world where there's enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And in that new paradigm, it's not a you or me world. It's a you and me world. You and I can both make it at no one's expense. There is enough for our need, but not for our greed. That's what Gandhi said. Okay. So 
sufficiency. You know, we ra- we race right past enough towards more. But we don't even know that enough happened. Yes. Because we're so focused on more. So the principle of sufficiency, which is really the punchline here in the answer to your question, is to realize that if you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, it frees up oceans of energy all tied up in that chase to turn and pay attention to what you already have. Mm. When you pay attention to what you already have, when you nourish what you already have, when you love what you already have, and when you make a difference with what you already have, Mm. and when you share what you already have, it expands. So let me say that again. When you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, which is what we're brainwashed to want more of, it frees up oceans of energy to turn and make a difference with what you already have. When you make a difference with what you already have, when you nourish what you already have, when you're grateful for what you already have, and when you share what you already have, it expands before your very eyes. That's so beautiful. The fast way to say that just is what you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. It's so beautiful. And I love, first of all, I love how you just said it, but I love that gratitude. You know, it's one of the core things that I learned in my life and that I share through my work, that that's really one of the anchors we have to shift. And then the other thing that I think is so powerful in what you said is that when you share what you have, it expands. And I, I want to use that as a transition. I want to talk about the making a commitment, taking a stand for something bigger than yourself. But I want to share something. But before I do, I just want to remind everyone, um, if you have questions, you can put them into Q&A and I'll work them in. I think everyone's just mesmerized, uh, Lynn, right now, as you can see in chat. <laughs> but the thing I want to share with you I, that really resonates with me, that gratitude, first of all, is s- such a powerful thing, but the sharing of what we have. And, you know, since just so much of my my rootedness to this comes to my refugee experience, even though it was 30 years ago, it's still like yesterday. Um our first, so in, in, um, we celebrate New Year's as a family because in Russia, mm. there was no Christmas or Hanukkah. So uh, we celebrate New Year's, we give gifts. So our first New Year's in America, you know, we were on welfare, like we, nothing. And uh, I remember that my dad, uh, there was a gift for me and it was wrapped in newspaper and it was an alarm clock like a $12, you know, those old alarm clocks, they're like rectangular with the brown thing on top that gets all the dust, (laughs) you know, with those like $12 at Kmart. And it's probably one of the most like treasured things. I don't have it anymore, but that I ever had because my parents didn't have anything. We didn't have anything, but he wanted to get me something and I didn't have a clock. And I remember like, it's such a gift for, I, I'm, I want to say thank you to you for bringing me back to that moment, because in sharing that, whatever he had, it became this huge thing. Like for me, it was a huge thing. And then the joy that I felt, I'm sure filled my parents with such joy. And here we were in a really rough situation in a very poor environment without more resources. So I just want to share that with you and everyone, because 
a $12 clock can become an amazing gift of enough and joy, but it's our mindset around it. And then the other thing, you know, my yoga team, one of my yoga teachers would say this phrase a lot years ago. And I remember at the time it meant nothing to me. She would say, if you want more of something, give it away. Yeah. And at the time this was, you know, not to go into my personal story, but this community knows, you know, I, I went through a really severe burnout and really breakdown of being six years ago. Cause I was so misaligned. And that's when I started doing this work. So this was before then. And she would say it and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't know what that means. But that's the real essence of what you're saying, because mm -hmm. when we share, contribute, whether it's our energy or money or time or gifts or whatever it is, it expands. Yeah. Right. So it's both what you appreciate appreciates, which is, I wonder, you know, it's a wonderful saying that's been, I love that that's in, that's in our culture. But also if you want more, if you want more of something or to feel like you have more of something, give it away. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to use that to ask you, you know, your second book, um, Living a Committed Life, which is also incredible, which is really about committing yourself to something greater than yourself. And in my world, I teach this idea of the bigger why, right? Like something that transcends you and the present moment that gives you that sense of purpose because you are doing it in service of someone else. And um, yes, I love that. <laughs> My audience knows what I call it, the bigger why. It's one of the five things I teach. So I'd love for you to talk about how, um, how living a committed life, how committing ourselves in whatever capacity to something greater than ourselves, how that is actually a way to affirm that sufficiency and then um, transcend a lot of that, you know, the chase, the anxiety that we feel, not just even the chase, but just this constant anxiety that we feel about our days. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for that question and also for what you teach. It's clear to me that if, um, if you don't have something larger than your own life starring you to commit your life to, you become very self-absorbed and you start working on yourself for yourself rather than look working on yourself in service of something larger than your life. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a commitment larger than your own life starring you, then developing yourself and being um, a better person is in service of something. Mm -hmm. It's not self-absorbed. It's not narcissistic. It's not, um, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not in a closed system. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I call myself a proactivist. I'm a been an activist my whole life. I call myself a proactivist because I'm an activist for, not against. I know the world I'm working towards. I know there's barriers in between. I know that I want to do my best to dismantle those barriers or those blocks that are in the culture, that are in the world. But I'm not against them. I'm not attacking them. I'm letting them die with dignity, if you will. Um, and, uh, and so I say that the, 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 the climate crisis, for example, we can look at it as this horrible, 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 frightening thing that we're the victims of, and we can be terrified about it, and we can worry about it, and we can be upset about it, and we can talk about it, and we can obsess on it. Mm. However, if we look at it as, a, uh, as feedback from the mother, from our mother, feedback. Mm -hmm. 
And this feedback is happening for us, not to us. It's, it's an opportunity for the evolutionary leap that we all know we want to take, not just personally, but as a species, we've lost our way. Mm. And if you start seeing things are happening for you, not to you, you're not the victim of anything, really. Everything is an opportunity for growth and development, particularly if you have a commitment in service, if your life is in service of something. You know, obviously, I've taken on these big, big, big challenges like ending world hunger and protecting the Amazon rainforest and empowering women and girls. But all of us have that longing. So, you know, Natalie, I don't know if you would say it this way, but your commitment is to the transformation of the human condition. That's larger than your own life. These things that we are committed to that I'm talking about aren't things you can check off like a goal. Like, you know, oh, done. Been done, there, done that. No, it's it's the, it's a it's a calling that comes in and, and grabs you and and leads you into being a better per- person. And when you have that kind of a commitment, the commitment itself comes back and shapes you into who you need to be to fulfill it. Mm. It's not like you get all ready and willing and eager and 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 educated and all trained mm. up to be someone who can produce transformation. Yes, that's helpful, but actually it kind of works the other way around. You get committed to ending world hunger. You get committed to transforming your community. You get committed to ending child abuse. Uh, And then that commitment comes back into your life and shapes you into who you need to be to fulfill Mm -hmm. that commitment as as you're working towards it. So there's a real power and commitment and there's a freedom in it too, because mm-hmm. we sometimes try to keep our options open and then we're sort of looking, should we do this? 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 Mm-hmm. When in fact something, it, you're on this planet now, it, I say, you know, I can't prove this, but all of you, everybody, because you have something to contribute, something unique that's yours to contribute to the evolution of the human family and the evolution of life. And if you really look at your core, deep in your core, Mm -hmm. your big why, why you were born now, what breaks your heart Mm -hmm. and what makes your heart sing. Those are two big clues. And that's yours to do. That's yours to contribute your life to. And I'm not kidding. I don't mean to sacrifice your life. I mean to turn it over in a way that something uses you and you become the instruments of something way greater than your life starring you. And that is a liberation. It seems like it's a trap or my God, no, it liberates you. And suddenly you actually can fully express yourself. Suddenly, you know exactly where to go. You know exactly who to talk to. You know exactly what to wear. You know exactly what your, what your voice is. So that's really what the second book is about, living a committed life, finding your calling, finding your reason for being, Mm -hmm. finding your, as you put it, your deep and profound why, and uh, giving yourself over to it because that creates a life of freedom and fulfillment. Mm. I think that's so powerfully said, you know, Lynn, as you're talking, um, so I've been working, um, as I think I share with my community, so I've been uh, very lucky for the past while. I work very closely. You must know Jean Houston. Of course. Jean's a personal mentor of mine, has become one, and is someone who has had a dramatic impact on 
me and you just reminded me and for all of you who may not know Jean Houston is a giant of human potential in our world um you should look her up she uh if Lynn is inspiring you Jean <laughs> Houston will as well so it's been a gift to work very closely with her but she often says to me you know we talk every week and she often uh, says to me she says don't forget that um, events and opportunities they're alive and they're looking for the vessel that will actualize them in service. <coughs> and I just wanted to share this because it's been a very powerful shift for me, what you just said, that it's not that we have to fit, you know, as you said, get trained up, get in the right place. Okay. And then we go and give ourselves to the cause simply by making that commitment. And then, you know, I'm a person of action. It's not like we can just sit there. We do have to do the things but we will start to encounter the people and the opportunities to honor that bigger why with action because they are alive as well. And I often think of it as like um, being in partnership with the universe. You know, you brought up Buddha. So, you know, one of the concepts in Buddhism is interdependent co-arising, mm -hmm. that it's not like there is this flow and we just have to plug into it. But it's that we're in partnership with our life, with the universe. And mm -hmm. there's no universe without us. There's no us without the universe. And to me, that's the powerful thing about what I, you know, glean from what you're sharing in the book, that by making that commitment to something, it doesn't have to be world hunger. It could be cleaning up uh, your neighborhood. It could be something much more local. For me, it is helping people struggle less and thrive more so they can shine their gifts and share their gifts and service of a world that thrives by making that commitment, by being really cognizant of it. And also one of the things that I think is very important, and that's why I talk about the bigger why, on a daily basis, thinking about what you're doing, how does it align with that? Then things come at you and it starts to fill you. So I think that's so powerful um, in what you shared. And you know, I want to ask you um, I, so many questions I want to ask you, but, you know, I, I found it very powerful in your story of how you decided um, the word doesn't seem to capture the magnitude, but how you took on this commitment to ending world hunger. And I'd love for you to just share that a little bit. I think that um, I found a lot of insight in it because it wasn't something you spent your whole life thinking about. You used to be a teacher before that. Mm -hmm. Like you did yes, something very was. different because I think, you know, I'm sure you encounter this in your work as well. Often people tell me, well, I don't know what my calling is. I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. So I, can you share a little bit about how that came to be yours? Because I found that very inspiring because it was, it's not like it was with you from birth or you were aware of it from birth. Well, I think um, it's sort of a paradox and um and people um you know they uh, you know how i can explain it and and this isn't so helpful so but i, I want to apologize for not being as helpful as i know people want me to be and you're asking me to be but um the way i see it was i was in the right place at the right time and i was paying attention mm. and and i also know that when you ask for guidance it actually does come <laughs> So for people who are looking for what is your calling, what are you here for, what, why are you on this planet now? As I said earlier, what breaks your heart and what makes your heart sing are usually somewhat related. There may be four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 issues like that, but, uh, and, and they're all clues. Uh, 
and it, it, it's also when you feel it in your body, you know, I was in sitting in a, uh, in a room with with a, a, a extraordinary teacher Werner Erhard, the man who founded the landmark work, which used to be called Est, and he made a commitment to end world hunger. And he had had a conversation with Buckminster Fuller, who I was also studying with. And when Werner and Bucky committed to ending world hunger, something happened to me, and I, and it was it was visceral. I I it, it was in my body. I started to cry. I had a, a, a you know an overwhelming experience of a kundalini uh, mm-hmm. thing come up my spine. You know, it just was oh my god! And I knew that something about this is is mine to engage in. And um, and 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 then you know more recently in the last twenty five years, I've been working in the Amazon rainforest, and that came to me also in a sort of a mystical way. I wasn't thinking about the Amazon. I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't an environmentalist. I didn't speak Spanish. I'd never been to South America. I was working in India and and Sub-Saharan Africa. But it came to me in a way that I could feel in my body, wow, God or the universe wants me now to use my life this way. Hmm. And so I, I wish I could say there's a formula, you know, A, B, C, D, this is how you find it. You know, there's some clues in your childhood. Um, if you're the kind of person who is always defending someone on the playground from the bullies, maybe your calling is some form of ensuring justice and security and safety for all people. Mm. It's a big, usually the, the stand I'm talking about is a big statement that you can't check off, but it's a through line that's coming through your life that you can forward with the way you live. Mm. It could be you're a kindergarten teacher and you're going to be the best listener you've these little five and six-year-olds have ever had for who they really are Hmm. not just reading write, and arithmetic but they're going to know they feel seen Hmm. and loved and appreciated and heard and deeply valued during that year you're teaching them in a way that'll impact their entire life that that that's a commitment larger than your own life that it doesn't need to be end world hunger so um we all have a calling. I say we all have one. And if you listen, it will call to you. If you ask for guidance, start, things will start showing up. You'll find yourself suddenly in the right place at the right time, and you'll feel it in your body. Mm. And maybe you are already there. And if you are, God bless you. Congratulations. You know, yay you. Because I think it's true for everyone. Mm. And I feel... um so grateful that I am in a space in my life where I can know that most of my life I've been following my calling. Mm. And it makes it clear that my life, and I'll just say your life too, I I suggest, is given to you Mm. so you can give it. Mm. Life is given to us so that we can give it. Mm. If you feel blessed, you're blessed so that you can bless. If you've been hurt, heal so that you can heal others. If you've been troubled, uh, get through it so you can address others' troubles. Mm. Often the very harshest things we've been through, like in your case, your immigration background is given you so much courage Mm. that you now are a person who encourages others. Mm. That's what encouragement is, giving people courage or connecting them with their courage. And, And when people are discouraged, 
they're merely disconnected from their courage, disconnected right. from their heart. Right. Um, I think and that's so powerful. You know, I just want to say, you know, you said that there is no formula and I agree with you, but I think there is a really important gem that I just want to highlight in what you shared. It is the paying attention. Hmm. It is the paying attention to those moments when you feel that flood of desire to embrace or something moves you. I think that is, if there is any formula, that is it. It's the paying mm -hmm. attention. And I think that is such an, such a gem, Lynn, because, you know, for me, my work, the way that I help people transcend struggle so they can thrive is I speak a lot. I teach, I write like you do. Well, if I, if I had been paying attention earlier in my life, that happened a lot, but I ignored it because mm. I was so obsessed. Not, I say this without judgment, but I was so obsessed. Like I should live like this. I should. And a lot of that came from the fear of running out, et cetera. But I was so committed to the should that I dismissed those moments when my calling was very loud and said, no, 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 me, me, me. And I was like that teacher who just ignored. I was like, no, no, no over here. So I think that, and it only for me, it was only my burnout and breakdown where the should got broken, where I finally started to pay attention. Um, so I think I just want to highlight that in what you said, like mm -hmm. in that moment, you could have been in that session and you could have ignored what you were feeling. You could have just, and I think that um, a lot of us do that, right? Because we we think there's some way we should be. So I think that is a really powerful gem. We have to really listen. And then, as you said, then we have to have the courage to follow through. And that does take courage because often it doesn't align with the original plan that we had, right? It's yeah, like, right. You know, and, and I, you know, personally relate to that. I hear that from so many people that often when we recognize our calling, then it takes courage because often it's like, oh, wait, this is not, <laughs> this wasn't my plan or my parents' plan right. for me. Or um, so I think that's really powerful. Lynn, I, I would love to keep you here for the next 10 hours or more. And mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone would as well, but mm -hmm. I want to honor your time. And I just want to tell you, um, how immensely deeply grateful I am on my personal behalf, but also on the behalf of the thousands and thousands of people who have gotten and will be getting the gift of listening to this episode. Um, you are um, such a light. So I am so grateful to you for being, I'm so grateful to you for making time amidst your very busy schedule to share yourself so warmly and openly. And I, you know, you can see from the exploding comments in Zoom how immensely grateful our community is for you. Um, and again, as a reminder, Lynn's two books, you guys can have mine, but you can buy them on Amazon or your favorite bookstore. <laughs> um, the Soul of Money and Living a Committed Life. You must read both. Um, they are there. I have this bookshelf, Lynn, um, over there that I call my sacred bookshelf. And they're sitting, it's like my most sacred book. So these permanently have a spot there. So thank you so much. You're um, a, a really huge gift to this community, to the world. And uh, I'm so grateful that you were able to share some of your wisdom and yourself with us. Well, thank you so much for your work. And um, I, I value it very, very much. And thank you for this time. And to everybody, thank you for listening so um so beautifully those of you in the chat who said 
lovely, awesome things, um, please go to my website, soulofmoney.org. I do courses like these beautiful uh, these beautiful courses that Natalie does and um, would love to share my work with all of you. And thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you for your work, for your love, for your life, mm. the life path you followed, what you transformed in your own life and your path and how you've given that gift to so many. So it was a delight a to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Have a really beautiful rest of your day, Lynn, and everyone okay. take good care. Bye-bye. All right, Awesome Humans. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Awesome Human Podcast. And I would love to know what resonated. What questions do you have? What are you excited to practice? So send us an email to team at happier.com. And please rest assured, if you send an email that you'd love for me to read, I will always get it in my inbox. My team will send it to me. Let's stay in touch so you can keep practicing skills to help you struggle less and thrive more in work and life. The best way to do it is to go to happier.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I promise you, I would never send you spam. It's just more practices, skills, and stories to help you embrace your inner awesome human. I can't wait to see you next week.